Hello, citizens of the internet. This is Jeremy Goldmeyer, the host of the Repertory Theater of St. Louis's Quick Start podcast. I'm tempted to call this episode a spooktacular, um, but I won't, even though I already said it. Um, I'm conflicted about this because we are talking to Esteban Andres Cruz and Tommy Everett Russell, the two stars of the creepy, crawly comedy, The Mystery of Irma Vep, which is currently playing on the Rep's main stage through March 8th. We talked about the incredible history of the show, how it started in the 80s in New York City in found spaces with um, playwright Charles Ludlam and his partner playing all of these crazy roles together and how it evolved to the production you see on our stage today. Um, please enjoy the episode. Uh, we also got into those amazing quick changes, so be on the listen for that. The play continues, as I said, through March 8th. You can get your tickets at repstl.org or by calling 314-968-4925. Enjoy the episode. You know, the first thing I really wanted to talk about was something you had both touched on uh, as we were setting up, and that's self-care mm. for a show that is as aggressively insane on the two performers Ooh. as this show. I, I would love to know your self-care routines, and maybe our listeners would love some tips as well. <laughs> uh, lots of sleep. Lots and lots of sleep. And uh, water. And lots of water, yeah. Lots of sleep and water. Drink lots of water. Um, I, I would love to go to a steam room. That sounds really nice. Oh, My voice so has good. been okay. Your voice has been okay. Yeah. I, I was having a little bit of issues last week toward the end of the week, just after rehearsing all day and performing all night mm-hmm. um, and going back after performances and rehearsing more. Um, so I, you know, I steam in the shower, I'll get my tea kettle whistling in my face, um, I'll do a bunch of things, but a steam room was so helpful to get to, um, for that. I also, um, am getting body work done every week, so I had a, I had a pedicure, uh, this weekend, and this week later I'll have a massage, and then I may go to acupuncture. All those things are really good, um, for that. And part of my practice, too, is I do yoga. Um, and I, with all the physical stuff we do in the show, I know Tommy does some yogic work as well. Um, because the show is so physical that if we... Thank God we're both in shape. Um, and so it's, it's imperative. Actually, Tommy's going to the gym right after this. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bravo. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so those kinds of things. So I think normally... Uh, people have this perception of actors that were just out partying and <laughs> drinking all night and whatever. But unfortunately, this show mm-hmm. and the demands of it require us to be a little more pragmatic about our sleep schedule and drinking water and not dehydrating ourselves on mm-hmm. alcohol. The dehydration we save for coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, we of, course. <laughs> of course, of yeah. course. I wash my hands a lot. <laughs> oh yeah, we cannot get sick. Yeah, that's. I'm just been trying to prevent injury and to do that. I just sleep a lot, drink a lot of water, warm up before the show mm-hmm. every night, um, and I've been washing my hands and just yeah. trying to not go. Yeah, party too hard. I really haven't gone out very much at all. Mm-hmm. So, um, and also I think spiritually. Um, I think Tommy just does this naturally, but I try to, um, surround myself with the things that I love and Mm. the people that love me. So, you know, we all have things that we're working on and problems in life. And 
and those problems and people that uh, that just cause me stress. I try not to give so much of my attention to. As we age um, and we give less Fs about things, um, <laughs> we also learn to protect ourselves and our, you know, if, if your mind is your mansion, uh, keeping things out of the house that would clutter it. So I try and focus on things that are productive and healthy and constructive. Antidepressants are great. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I take mine mostly for anxiety, but it's, uh, it helps quite a bit, <laughs> to be honest. Well, it sounds like you're finding all these opportunities to just release and just be, uh, whether it's you know just taking care of your body, resting, being around the people or the things you love, that's all great, too. Um, yeah, reset after the tumult and the chaos of yeah, this show. Yeah. Um, but we're going to get into that tumult and chaos of this show, um, theoretically. Um, I was curious about how audiences have been responding to it the first few runs. I haven't spoken with a lot of people, but the people who have come to see it, mostly people that I know have really enjoyed it. They say that Esteban and I have very good chemistry, which is really, I mean, it's a godsend. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, on this show, I can't imagine working with someone that you didn't, you know, have good chemistry with or that you didn't like. Yeah. Esteban has just been really um, inspiring to work with. And so uh, I think people really pick up on that when they Mm. see the show. That's what they Mm -hmm. comment on is that we have really good chemistry. And that chemistry that Tommy spoke of was really cool to find the first day that we met at the callback. Um, and mm. I knew then, because, you know, I'm, like, Tommy and Nelson have worked together before and have known each other for years, um, and I was the new kid on the block. So to get into a room where I felt safe to play in that way, that's just, like, kind of in a part of me that I don't get to use a lot, because uh, I do more, like, straight drama. Right. Um it, it was fun to know that I was supported and safe in that room and that uh, Tommy and Nelson were just as much of a goofball as I am. Um, so they loved it and supported it. And so the whole process all the way from back then has been a gift. And, like, and we're both queer actors. Um, and to it was very important to Nelson not being of the LGBTQ community I mean, he's kind of queer, um, but <laughs> who isn't? But I mean, really. Uh, but he's definitely an ally, and he was he was very upfront about wanting our queerness to resonate in this play, and he set up a room with not just Tommy and I, but a number of queer people mm-hmm. um, in the room, so that we could really invest in what was going on at the time with Charles and his partner, for whom he wrote this show. Um, and to and into the fact that this is in the in just the the beginning of the AIDS crisis where it was very ambiguous and and all of these queer people were dying and we're losing some great artists and we didn't know so though it is farcical and comedy um, it's been in, invested with that kind of uh, understanding and queerness um, so all of that was great and then back to your question about the response. Um, I, I have talked to a lot of people, and people in town have been noticing me and saying, oh, I saw you in that show. <laughs> and, um, and it's been really great because I think right now with everything happening in this country and with, uh, with the season that we've had at the rep 
leading up to this, there have been a lot of challenging shows to watch. You know, right? Angels is is a is a heavy piece to chew on, um, and so to give people something which is um, seemingly lighter uh, is is a gift because they are definitely in the mood to receive it. Yeah, people just want to have something a little silly, but. Um, like you mentioned, there's uh, an incredible backstory to this show, and the scene that it came from is actually not so far removed from the setting of Angels in America, that era of '80s, uh, the '80s in New York City, where you had these queer artists who were doing like the most punk rock kind of theater imaginable in spaces wherever they could find it. And this was one of those shows. It was uh, Charles Ludlam and his partner Everett Quinton who mm-hmm. who did this show together. Um, and so, what what's kind of like? I guess kind of what is the the legacy of that uh, origin for this? Like, how does that inform this piece as we do it in 2020, knowing that it came from uh, that scene? Well, I think the 80s uh, really sucked, (laughs) my parents say. Uh, You know, I was really young in the 80s, but... I can tell you they did. (laughs) It was a time of a lot of... uh, It was, you know, obviously with the AIDS crisis. um, Reagan. And Reagan, the Reagan administration, and, you know, being very slow to recognize what was happening uh, in terms of, you know, the public health. Um... I think it was just a really hard time, and I think today is another difficult time politically mm-hmm. um, in society. We feel really fractured, and uh, the theater of the ridiculous came out of that, you know, really not being able to understand the world that we were living in, and I, I kind of feel similarly now. Mm. It feels ridiculous, the world we're living in, so, you know... Mm that this art um, reflects that or uh, comments on it, um, I think is appropriate in the way that it was when this, this show premiered in the 80s. Yeah. And, uh, and with that same thing of, um, you know, in, it, it didn't matter in the 80s if, if you had AIDS or not. As soon as it was understood or if it was recognizable that you were gay, queer, even lesbian, whatever it was, then you automatically had AIDS and you were automatically this thing to be feared and to be looked at as like a monster. And right now, the way that this administration has been treating queer people, um, taking away our rights, trying to dehumanize us in so many ways, when you dehumanize people, you're making them out to be monsters. So it feels, again, so it resonates so well within the queer experience of what we're going through right now in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just queer people, people of color, amen. immigrants. I mean, the purpose is to dehumanize people. It is to, you know, fracture us, to point other people out as other, and yeah. not, not yeah. Americans or not us. And that's very... Um, uh, purposeful what Trump is doing and people around him and but that's just not you know not something I believe in or stand for and so making this art feels like a real um, way to combat that yes um, in our little way it's it's a middle finger to gender norms and societal norms and it's and it's saying kind of like playing off of what you said if you're going to make us out to be monsters okay we're going to do a play where we are literally monsters and we're going to be fabulous while doing it and you're not going to keep us down 
And that's, you know, and that's the camp part and mm-hmm. the satire and being able to, like what Tommy was talking about with the theater of ridiculous, of taking all of this stuff that makes no sense and then presenting it in a way that you turn it on its head to you, so that you can see the ridiculousness of it and kind of mock culture and society and, at times, certain political groups. And I think, you know, it's a, it's a success of a tyrant to get people who should be allies to mm-hmm. divide them against one another. Mm-hmm. And that was one thing that happened in the 80s with ACT UP. People started fighting in these little factions until someone spoke up and said, hey, know who your enemy is. None of us in this room are your enemy. We're all here to save people's lives. Mm-hmm. It's people outside of this room that are the enemy. And I think with this play and what, what Tommy was getting at was that, that that radicalization and that radical queerness is saying that with this play, we are all God's creatures and we all deserve dignity and we all live on this earth together mm-hmm. and therefore we are all human beings and deserve that mm-hmm. respect. Right on. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is from Bayard Rustin, who is has a portrait on our set. He's uh, he was MLK Jr.'s mentor in terms of um, uh, nonviolent, uh, you know, protesting. And his quote is, uh, we are all one. And if we don't know it, we're going to learn it the hard way, mm-hmm. which I think is really profound. And it's yeah. definitely something that um, motivates me. Yeah. And I think that this play, you know, represents. And that's that's something that we both draw inspiration from uh, because we were both asked to participate in this uh, part aspect of the show, which I think most people won't even get. But since you have listeners listening right now, um, one thing to share with you that, especially if you are queer or you have a queer person in your family, is that all of the portraits uh, on mm-hmm. the set are of gay icons who either have AIDS or have died of AIDS, um, but who were influential um, to both Tommy and myself and to queer culture in general. And he, um, in addition to the one he mentioned, we also have Arthur Ashe, mm-hmm. uh, we have Alexandra Billings, mm-hmm. we have Harvey Milk, we have Charles Ludlam, um, and personally for me, I'm so grateful that we have Freddie Mercury up there, <laughs> um, and, and a number of other people uh, who were important in shaping queer identity and, and queer are. cultural and art and, uh, and are important too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's something to look for if you haven't seen the show yet. I won't say when it happens, but there's a moment where uh, those portraits are referenced somewhat indirectly, and they get their little moment. Mm-hmm. And so when you hear that hush come over the crowd, that's kind of what that moment represents. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all watching over the show the entire time, which is really powerful. Yeah. And I think part of the, you know, the work that we do is in the ephemeral. We're not, we're not um, scientists and we're not mathematicians. Though I would argue that behind <laughs> every scientist and mathematician is a romantic. Because mm-hmm. you don't get into the study of medicine if you don't hum, have some romantic notion of trying to find a cure or trying to, f- trying to help people. So uh, being, knowing that we are dealing in the ephemeral we do have some invocations in the play, and I think the play itself, like Shakespeare's Sonnet 18, is a way to preserve Ludlum and Quentin to posterity. And so every time we do the play, the play itself is an invocation 
mm-hmm. to all of those spirits who have le- left us, to all of those who've died from AIDS. We're inviting all of those spirits in the room, and hopefully it, with their blessing and their anointing, we can act as the prisms of that light and then share it with the audience. That's uh, Tommy and I have vaguely spoken about that, and, and I know that's what we've been doing, and so that's just a little little gift to share with you about our process. Right on. And you have you know this wonderful text to work from, but I know through improv and audience interactions, uh, some new elements have maybe come into play that reflect the two of you and your personalities. Um, what what have you added? <laughs> uh, right now they're pointing at each other, <laughs> trying to assign blame for this. But no, no, it's, it's like it really adds that splash of contemporary personality to it. Um, I was curious maybe how maybe you could talk about one of those moments where it came from and, and how you've played with it since you started performing in front of audiences. Well, we knew going into it, um, w- Nelson did a good job of preparing us, the, Nelson, the director, um, Eusebio. He, he had said, you know, in each of these moments when the other one has a change, you're going to have to have something in your back pocket yeah. of what you're going to bring out because uh, guaranteed something will go wrong every show. Some change might take long. Some set piece might be missing, you know. So just be prepared. <laughs> um, so we, while we were in rehearsal, we, we would take the time um, that it would take, that we thought would be um, for a change. And so when the other one was left out on stage, we had an opportunity to feel what that feels like and to see what we could come up with. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other night, there's a moment in Act 2 where the character of Lord Edgar discovers a footprint in the tomb, which, you know, I don't know if I should give it away, but uh, I won't give it away. But anyway, Ed, Lord Edgar finds a <laughs> Something footprint. Happened. Something happens. Yes, it's yes. All, it's all a setup, essentially. But Lord Edgar finds a footprint, and Esteban found someone in the audience. There's a seat. It's like one seat right down stage. And the and wedge, the triangle wedge, right. where the, the row behind it has two seats, and after that there's three seats. Yes. But in this one seat, it's a single solitary person sitting right at the edge of the stage and usually the person has their legs crossed and this evening someone had their you know foot up and they were wearing a sneaker (laughs) and Esteban usually goes to that person and you know shined the flashlight and he said a footprint a footprint uh what'd you say and it looks like a nike footprint (laughs) and it was actually a new new balance and Alcazar corrected me and I I I went as Alcazar my character I went on and I was like actually it looks kind of like a new balance to me (laughs) and we just I cry like I cracked up in the it middle of the show. It was great. I just, Tommy had to turn up stage. Yeah. It was it was so much fun. And then I referenced it at the very he end. He did. Of the what? Show. This you brought it back? Because because <laughs> Lady Enid yeah. comes back at the end and she's explaining to Lord Edgar, <laughs> I won't tell you what she's explaining, you'll have to right. see the show. Um, but the justification for the footprint it, she gives in her speech. <laughs> when you and discovered so, that, and I right. like, New Balance footprint, it yeah. gave us quite a turn. So just to bring uh, it back, and that's, that you know, fun. that's it's exciting for the audience because yeah. they get in on right. it, and, and it's, and it's special for them. for them, that performance. Yeah, and also it's it's really great for us, and like just as, as a performer and as an improviser, when somebody does something genius like that and brings back something that we did an hour ago, yeah. 
uh, it's really exciting and it's like it's really sexy listening um, <laughs> and that that was yeah that was really really fun mm-hmm. and we keep discovering things like that in the show as we as we progress yeah and you've thrown out some of their names um, I would be interested in hearing about maybe the you I, I would say you have two main characters that each of you play and there's some other characters we'll leave as sort of a mystery for you to discover when you come to the theater but um, can you introduce us to them and kind of their personalities and maybe any inspirations you brought to the table in portraying them? Sure. Uh, yeah, my main characters are Nicodemus and Lady Enid. Nicodemus is the, like, outdoors uh, servant. Uh, you know, he's, he tends the stable and the animals. and He yeah. lives in the stable. He lives in the stable. He shovels shit. Yes. He, uh, he's got a crush on Janie, who, Jane, who's the house... Uh, keeper and who lives in in the house and um i really yeah i've got a soft spot for him he's kind of the hero of the play and he's based on a lot of i mean we just he's based on heathcliff he's Uh, based on Heathcliff. uh, sure okay and but he's a you know he's like a combination of uh, from Young Frankenstein, Igor, and... Elephant Man. Elephant Man meets, you know, uh, and, Heathcliff. And Somerset Moms of Human Bondage, um, the young character in that. There's all of these different icons and different uh, influences. And in fact, um, there is a scene from Weathering Heights, yeah. from the film from 1938, that is directly lifted from the movie mm-hmm. in the play that we do. Um so Nicodemus is one of the characters, and the other character is Lady Enid, who is Lord Edgar's new wife, um, and I really enjoy playing her a lot. She's an actress, and she's really, you know, uh, exaggerated, and um, and I pulled from various characters for her, uh, like Joan Fontaine from Rebecca, the Yes, film. yes, Descending the Staircase. Yeah, um, and just my own big personality, which I like to show sometimes, <laughs> so, um, but those are, they're pretty opposite, those two, yes. I mean, um, so those are my two main characters. Uh, and I, I play, um, Lord Edgar, who is the master of the house. Um, who is still grieving the loss of his wife from three years past. He's found a new lady in Lady Enid, um, and he really wants to move on, and he really loves Enid, but he's haunted by his past and this woman. Um, Jane, after um, the the former Lady Irma passed, um, Jane stayed on as Lord Edgar's housekeeper, and I also played Jane, the housekeeper. Um, and she's, she's got secrets like everybody. Um, and she has certain ideas. She has a very vivid imagination and, um, and she has certain ideas about herself in her imagination that aren't necessarily based in reality, but in the realm of who she sees herself to be one day as she aspires to that, um, so she has she has an ambition to move up in the world, um, and m- speech wise, I had some some vocal patterns for each of these characters that uh, that were my inspiration, and neither of them is exact because there's multiple influences in each of them, um, and for Jane it was a, a base of a Cockney accent, but then also. Um, 
um, Edith Bunker from On oh, the Family. Oh, okay. I'm picking that up, yeah. As well as Rosie Perez. Yes. Um, so so those, those were my three main influences for Jane. Uh, and then for Lord Edgar, um, I started with uh, received pronunciation, standard British dialect, um, and then uh, Frankenfurter from Rocky Horror Picture Show oh, bled into that. And then um, Will Ferrell's Robert Goulet, uh, <laughs> which is like a an accent twice removed, um, and and uh, and for the the character all around doing doing a British type comedy. Um, of course, I could not get out of my head John Cleese, um, yes. and and wanting that. I mean, it, the the play itself feels very Monty Python. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so, and of course Freddie Mercury. Um, <laughs> all the a few influences. All the mustachioed greats, I exactly. feel, have been integrated into one mustachioed man. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So I, I took uh, took inspiration from all of those things, and. Uh, and I think just like physically, I, I would say Tommy has been a great influence uh, on mine because we we really do. He, he spoke about um, people mentioning our chemistry, and and it's fun to play off Tommy because he's that kind of partner that's always going to throw you something. And I know that like some actors feel uncomfortable with curveballs, uh, but I love them. And so if, if Tommy does anything, if he, if he moves in a different way, if he says something in a different cadence, I'll pick it right up and throw it right back at him. And it's fun because we, you know, it'll always be fresh for us because we can always find new things in it. Right. You've got the text in your head, but now you get to put new spins on it and sort of play this game of badminton mm-hmm. on stage within the script. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have to talk about the quick changes. <laughs> and we, and I, I do want to frame this as we need to give props to the amazing team. Oh. Behind the oh stage, God. if you could name them, who are helping you? Oh, absolutely. So I have um, um, Aviella, obviously, we like to say, obviously Aviella, um, and <laughs> Jalen. Those are my two. And these are students at Webster, mm-hmm. and they're acting students in their first year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for them to do this show and be changers on this show, uh, they don't realize the gift it is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're a delight, and they're wonderful and so positive. And then we also have uh, Courtney and Jalem running backstage, giving us dead animals and, and props and things. Uh, yes, yes. Which is super helpful. And then up in the uh, follow spots are Jorge and Jack. And Tommy's got uh, his own two dressers as well. Yeah, Nicolette and Marissa, they're fantastic. I believe they're both first years as well. Um, and that, yeah, like they've, they're really cutting their teeth on this show to be, you know, acting as uh, changers because we do a lot of changes, like over 35 changes. Um, and also Rachel, who's the head of wardrobe, is oh. fabulous. She's oh kind God. of the, the, the lead person She makes sure our and... wigs stay on, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, stay on our heads and that we look good. Mm-hmm. And also um, from the first day of mm-hmm. rehearsal, our stage management crew, just goddesses, mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. We have um, Emily, who's the stage, stage manager. manager. Lorraine is the assistant mm-hmm. stage manager. Fabulous. And then Gabby. Yeah. Um, they were another queer voice in the room mm-hmm. that was really important. And they're young, and they're, I think, a, a stage management student here. But their contribution to this show, yeah. both to my me. Teeth. My teeth. <laughs> taught me how to play the ukulele. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. So this, you had never played before the show? No. 
Wow. No. And I had these teeth that I wanted to wear for Nicodemus, and Gabby happens to her father, their father happens to be a dentist, so at first we tried some, like, you know, shoddy mold things to put on the teeth to put them in, uh, keep them in, but then Gabby's uh, dad <laughs> sent actual, like, dental, like, molds, and I was able to fashion, you know, uh, a proper mold so that my teeth, yeah. for the most part, stay on during the show. That's so, awesome. Yeah. And those those are, like, the heroin above and beyond. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, things. Yeah. That, that Incredible. Like, we would never even expect or ask. Yeah. But they w- they had this knowledge and they had yeah. these resources and, and they they just offered it. But like in. even before all that, they were like the first day that we were running the quick changes and everything. Um, Gabby and Lorraine both were like right there. Yeah. And sometimes wow. Tommy and I would get off stage and we'd be like, "Who am I? What, what's my next line? What, are, what scene am I going teeth. into? Put in your teeth. Yeah. Out your teeth. And they were like, you know, like. I, and every show, usually, there needs to be, a, a you know, an assigned Esteban Wrangler. Uh, but it's nice that we have <laughs> Is that both. in your contract? <laughs> it certainly should be. Uh, but we had automatic Wranglers for both Tommy and myself and Gabby and Lorraine. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. Could you, without giving away too many trade secrets, could you maybe describe one of your quick changes in a step-by-step way to help people understand everything that happens oh, yeah. when you walk off? Yeah, I mean, it's we try to do it the same way every single performance right. so that it, you know, is locked in. Uh, for me, one of my craziest ones is I go from wolf, werewolf types in, like, costumes. So I, like, take off a hood, take off my gloves, hand off a gun, take off my big leather jacket, and then I jump into a Lady Eni costume. So I'm going, like... You know, it's velcroed in. in the back. Right. Our dresses right. are velcroed in the back. Right, so uh, so they can be removed really easily. So and then I just jump into this Army's, really uh, big, you know, huge sleeved, uh, lacy dress that's really gorgeous. Tommy's extending his arms forward because we have to enter the dresses arms first. Right, right. So we put our arms out and they hold the dress right. on and then I towards t- us and then turn around. They velcro me up in the back and then I have to put a wig on. So I take my thumb and put it at the front of the wig and then pull down as hard as I can at the very front so that the the part is at a certain place on my forehead and then I turn around and I'm like how do I look (laughs) oh I take out my teeth too and I'm like how do I look and they're like great and then I rush on stage so that's the step-by-step quick change that is is that the most stressful part of this process for you or is it being on stage which is more aggravating it's not no there's it's not stressful for me but it just takes a lot of stamina in Mm. general like i I, by the end of the first act before we're going into um the intermission i'm just like oh Uh my gosh like it's over an hour and you're just like oh wow i can't believe that we have another 45 minutes to do but um so that's it just the stamina required to do the show (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I don't feel like stress in this show as much as uh, just alertness and availability are really important. And um, I'd say one of my faster uh, and more challenging changes is out of Lord Edgar into Egypt, Lord Edgar. Because um, I get off the stage, and as I'm coming off the stage, Rachel is doing a gesture with her hands where she like grabs and pulls upward with her hands to remind me to pull my pants out of my boots because I have these (laughs) boots that go all the way up to my knee 
Uh, and the, the fashion, this Victorian fashion of pants is they're big and billowy, and, but they're, they're tapered at, uh, beyond the knee, so they tuck inside the boot. So as I'm running off stage, that's the first thing is I yank up my pants out of my boot um, so that they can get the zippers off, and I'm throwing off my coat as Lord Edgar um, and whipping off my hat as soon as I pass the black curtain. I'm so if the audience, and they can't see that, but if they could, they'd be getting more than they paid for. Because <laughs> um, I'm just in my, in my, my shirt, uh, my, I have a regular gentleman's collared shirt with a tie, except the sleeves are cut off so that I can right. not sweat to death. Um, and it is fashioned at the bottom like a onesie, like a unitard. So there's a strap of fabric that comes uh, from the front and the back of the shirt so that when I'm taking my pants on and off, I don't have to worry about tucking it in. Beautiful. Uh, it just does that. And um, and it's so cute because the girls, I, I go and I, I unzip my pants and I get them, you know, kind of just loose and ready to go down as soon as they, they get them unzipped at the calf and over my boot. And then I, I drop them, and then I sit, and then they pull off the pants, and then they take another pair of pants and put them over my boot. And that was a thing we had to negotiate how to do that with the designers because they had these pants that, like, I would have to take the boot completely off. We would add another, you know, minute yeah. to this change, <sighs> which we couldn't afford. So we had to find a way for them to get over the boot, and the answer, of course, was Velcro. Um, so as they're taking on taking off these pants and taking the other ones on, I, I would tell the girls, I'm like, I feel like a baby. So <laughs> now when they're doing it, I make these baby sounds. <laughs> while, while, she's, while they're changing me. Because uh, it's, you know, it's good to laugh. Uh, and so we get that in. And while they're doing that, Rachel has whipped off my, my hat. Or I, if I haven't whipped it off, she's taken it off. And as I'm doing this with my pants, she's putting a cravat around my neck. And then I put my hands back, and she puts the jacket over my hands. I pull it up. Then, uh, then Jalen comes, and she velcros the front um, while I'm zipping up my pants, the new ones, after they've tucked them into my boots. And then I get uh, a pit helmet um, stuck on my head. I pull the band uh. down, and then Rachel throws my bag over my head, and then we run. Yeah. We run so fast through the lobby um, and it's not even into the lobby. We just are in oh, the yeah. in the hallway of the internal part of the theater before you get into the house. And it's so dark because this is the time when people are just sitting down watching the show. Yes. Uh, that sometimes I can't see the door I'm supposed to enter ahead of me. And sometimes I run into it. <laughs> and that's how I know the door is there. So if you're sitting by one of those doors and you hear a thud... <laughs> You know, about halfway through is. the show, you know what happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's a uh, pretty intense change. Yeah, yeah. But it, it sounds like you have this whole village to support you. And oh, your... my God. <laughs> and it's all choreographed, like Tommy said. Yes. Every single move, every everything we do, we always go with my right leg first, you know. We don't. That's, that's one place where there is no improv. <laughs> Um, in addition to uh, the silliness, the satire, the madness, the mystery, um, there are a surprising number of musical moments in this show, both huh. in terms of needle drops. Uh, again, won't spoil any of those, but there are going to be some songs you might recognize. Um, and uh, the two of you uh, performing some music on stage. Um, was that something? I know, obviously, there are some improv songs here and there, but 
Um, was that something that was added, and, and what does that contribute to the show? Well, there is there is a moment in the script mm-hmm. where um, Lady Enid and Jane have a duet on... It's not a harpsichord. What it's was supposed it? to be a... a, um, a, a not a mandolin. No, it's a... Um, it's a... It's called a not a theremin. It's like a guitar a with dr- a triangle. Uh, no, an it's, old um, dulcimer. 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 That's dulcimer. Yeah. That's right. So it's a dulcimer. So, but we don't play dulcimer. So, and <laughs> Tommy's really good at piano. Yeah. So they made they got us a little toy piano. They actually got two toy pianos, but then um, Esteban, mine was out of tune. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was not a really easy way to tune them together. So um, Esteban decided to do you. To do the ukulele, just learn a new instrument. Well, it was it was easy. It was an easy fix, and you know, I I know how to play some guitar, and I never took up the uke because I just you know was trying to learn other things. But one of the challenges with me with a guitar was that I I have small hands, and so I couldn't reach all of the chords and and you know all all these bridge things and whatever. So. I uh, I thought well a ukulele is smaller and I, my little hands could probably you know make those chords happen and and then Gabby knew actually Gabby doesn't even play uh, uke they play the guitar but really well um, and so they like were like oh yeah here blah 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 mm-hmm. and like just taught me even though they don't play. So we we yeah. we took some license in that, yeah. and and we did, did a spoof off of a, a very well known queer queer musical theater musical piece, theater piece. Yes. Um, which which actually the the lyrics to and mm-hmm. the tone mm-hmm. of it fit really well. What, were very fitting. The moment of the play. So we you know and and Nelson was um, from Jump. Nelson knew that I I've performed as a Freddie Mercury impersonator. Yes, yes. So he was looking for a way and a reason to get Queen in there somehow, um, or at least we are the champions in Spanish because he heard about that performance. Um, <laughs> is that on the internet somewhere? Unfortunately, yes, it is. I'm sure you can find it. But uh, but it, we did not manage to get Queen right. into the show, so right. I don't want to disappoint anyone. Right. Oh, okay. Um, Maybe who knows? Okay. One day yeah. through an improv, we might find it. Um, but yeah, there are there are moments where uh, we've been given, like Tommy's been given some open lines where he can just say whatever he wants, and I've been given a couple of moments of open activity where I can either do a bit or I can sing, um, you know, or or whatever, do a dance. So we've been given pretty uh, pretty free reign. In that regard, and there are some moments where I've I've made up some songs, um, mm-hmm. and then there are moments where I'm quoting actual songs. So. Yes, we need to make a Spotify playlist. All the <laughs> inspiration, the the yeah, Lord Edgar show tune yeah. review. <laughs> um, I'll I'll close this with a very open question, and you can answer it however you'd like. Um, what are your hopes and dreams for the rest of the run of this show, for yourself or for the audience? Um, I would like to continue just to play more, have fun with it, go deeper with the characters. I know that seems maybe counterintuitive, but I, you know, with this type of theater, because I have a lot of back, my background is mostly in Commedia dell'arte, but you'll, you find that as you continue to perform a piece that you go deeper and deeper and deeper and find more and more and more with characters and, and bits and things that you can do. So I hope to be able to do that. Um, oh, I've got a quote 
my friend who is a theater professor um, has a quote from Charles Ludlam. Brilliant. Um, and it, it relates to this. So the quote is, Modern art up through Beckett is the reduction of form, the elimination of things. There's no way to go beyond Beckett because you can't get any more minimal. You reduce and reduce until there's nothing. Mm. I'm moving in the other direction mm. to a maximal, more Baroque vision. Yes. That's from Charles Ludlum. So, yeah. So finding mm. more and more and more, um, not reducing it, but, you know, playing more and more and more. And that's, yeah. that's my hope for the rest of the run. Thank you. That's lovely. Um, I, I echo Tommy's sentiments and, and that deepening of the play. I hope that Tommy and I continue to fall in love in this, um, in the way that we have with our friendship. Um, because it's, it is a really great gift to be on stage with him as well as off stage. And I think as much as anything, um, of what this play is about is about these two performers, mm. you know, and, mm. and the love that they have for each other. So I, I hope that that grows and deepens as well and beyond the show. And I, I hope that um, this gives uh, subscribers to the rep a, a much-needed belly laugh and, and sigh of relief. Um, and, and also I hope that in the smallest way... Um, that this place succeeds in not a huge shift, but perhaps a nudge, um, just a nudge to help people expand their sense of humanity. If we nudge them just towards a, a broader, wider, deeper understanding of who they deem human and who they deem worthy, and if a couple of clowns like us can say that these two super fabulous queers are no different than you or your daughter or your grandma, but that we're all the same, and you can see your humanity through us, then maybe queer people aren't really that bad. I'm going to give an amen to that. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing your time and your energy with us for the podcast. Keep doing what you do. It's amazing. Thank you. Thank you.